Looking to create your best self, whether it's good for you lifestyle hacks, smarter ways to supplement or tasty tips to fuel optimal health. Talk Healthy Today provides you the latest research tools and common sense tips you need to get and stay healthy starting today. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. So glad you're listening to Talk Healthy Today. I am absolutely in love with doing this podcast. I would be thrilled if you rated, reviewed, and subscribed to the podcast. Now, on to the show. Joining us now is a wonderful Claire Regazzino. Her book, Living Ayurveda, Nourishing Body and Mind Through Seasonal Recipes, Rituals, and Yoga. This is a must-have book. It's absolutely gorgeously done, and I'm thrilled to have you on, Claire. Welcome to the show. Yes, I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, in the book, you talk about, oh, thank you for coming. You talk about when you first discovered Ayurveda. You write, I first discovered Ayurveda during my own health crisis. I was struggling with a chronic digestive disorder that doctors couldn't figure out. Searching for answers, I tried every diet, cleanse, supplement, and superfood under the sun. I saw all kinds of specialists and healers. So tell us a little bit more about that journey. And I think so many of us have done that. Some of us have found success with certain things and some of us haven't. So this could be something that could be amazing for so many people. Yeah, absolutely. I know I'm not alone in having gut health challenges in our modern world. So similarly to many listeners, I struggled with digestive disorders from the time I was very young. I mean, for really as for as long as I can remember, I always had some kind of upset stomach or um, difficulties in that way. And into my teens, it had reached a point where I was frustrated. I'd seen doctors, I had upper GIs and lower GIs. I'd, um, I, I just had no answers from medical professionals of why I didn't feel great. And so quite young, I got um, inspired to start cooking. And I think I was 15 when I really started playing around with cleansing and such. And um, found myself really drawn to raw foods to begin with. And <laughs> it's very different from from now, but I had a raw foods cookbook and I remember spending a summer eating raw and going to this little uh, library and the small town I grew up in. I grew up in Southeast Alaska on a little island and all of our food was barged in or flown in because Southeast Alaska, is it's hard to grow a lot of food there. Um, very windy, very stormy. And so, um, you know, beautiful fishing culture, big hunting culture, but not so much by way of vegan, vegetarian um, being a common pathway. <laughs> so um, I definitely was the odd one in school where I had packed my own lunches and have, you know, sweet potato salads and teas in a mason jar. And people would look at me and be like, ew, gross, what are you doing? Um, but it was my own curiosity with food that really led me to reading and studying. And I would spend these days at this little natural food store and in their library there, I'd just sit and read as much as I could. And um, Healing with Whole Foods by Paul Pitchford was a book that I first came to. And, you know, it's interwoven with macrobiotics and Ayurveda. Um, and then I came along Dr. Vasant Lad, who is a Ayurvedic um, physician here from India who has a clinic here in Albuquerque and a, and a school in Albuquerque. Um, so I, I started reading his books and felt excited about Ayurveda, but also very overwhelmed, very confused by all the complex terms and, you know, okay, it's a body type, but I'm just, what kind of body type am I and what should I eat for? And, 
you know, I, I kept it as knowledge in my mind, but it wasn't very applicable until later into my 20s did I start learning how to apply it to my life in a very practical way. Now, how did you feel when you were on the raw food diet? Like I could never do it right. No. <laughs> I, I would say, look, I grew up um, eating Lunchables and packaged gogurts as a kid, and these, you know, all these funny dyed and processed foods. And I, I would say I probably felt much better making a shift in my diet. And for a while, I felt great, but I also struggled. You know, I was living in Alaska. It didn't make sense to be eating cold nuts and smoothies and <laughs> dried foods at that time. But I kind of over rode what my body was telling me with what my mind said and, and that I had to do this this perfect way. And so I found myself kind of teetering between needing to achieve this, you know, perfect goal of eating all raw at the this time and this way and, and always feeling I was kind of chasing this pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, but never getting there. And so I, I continued to explore raw foods and cleansing, particularly juice fasting for many years. And definitely grateful for that time of life. But after a while, with so much cleansing, I felt very depleted. And so into my early 20s, I started to explore um, these concepts I've been reading about Ayurveda. You know, like increases like, okay, I'm working as a raw food chef now at this time. And I am eating cold foods and raw kale salads. It's December I'm also feeling cold. I'm also feeling dry. You know, I'm eating these dry, rough, cold foods. If these principles of Ayurveda is like increases like, then I'm only increasing that in my own body. So there I am shivering, eating my cold salads, you know, still (laughs) feeling bloated, not really achieving my goals of having good digestive health um, and feeling frustrated. You know, at this point, it had been almost a decade of trying different things, working through these different modalities, but still, again, operating from how I thought I should be rather than this more embodied place of how to really live these principles. So there was a real turning point where I started to understand how to apply those principles of Ayurveda to my life and then decided this is the path I really want to dig into more. Wow. It's it's so nice when you find your path. I love in the book you write, this is my hope for you. Give yourself space and time to explore and experience this wisdom for yourself. What do the elements look like in your body? How does cooking with presence and intention through the season shift your relationship to food? What does it feel like to live by the rhythms of nature guiding your life? There is no right or wrong here, simply a practice of self-observation without judgment. You know, that is a quote from Swami Kripalu. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Kripalu Center, but if you walk around their halls, they have his big quote there, which which says um, the highest spiritual practice is self-observation without judgment. And that really stuck with me through the years and thinking about how, how so much of my path to healing was the cycle of perfectionism and judgment, you know, the shame or blame game that we play with ourselves. And when you're really learning how to apply this language of nature that Ayurveda gives us, it gives you so much more grace, you know, to look at yourself through this lens. Okay, I ate a lot of cold foods. I'm feeling cold. I didn't do anything wrong. This is just the cause and effect nature that happens when you make these choices. So next time tomorrow, 
I'm going to make a different choice. And then I'm going to observe how I feel then. Oh, I felt good. Okay, I think I'm going to do that again. And so habit change, I noticed, really didn't come from laying out these lofty goals or these 40-day challenges or, you know, these strict, stringent cleanses, but it was really looking at how can I make moment-to-moment decisions to care for myself in a more gentle and loving way. In part one, you had the foundation of Ayurveda, and you write, what is Ayurveda and how can you begin to make sense of this wisdom? So I'm going to have you answer that wonderful question that you wrote. Well, the example that I gave was living in France. I spent a semester abroad in Paris and felt very overwhelmed by my class choices. I thought I was more competent in the language than I really was at the time. <laughs> and so to, to get out of my head so much of trying to learn the language and feeling stifled by it, I started going to yoga classes. And at the time, I was a very focused Ashtanga yoga practitioner. And with Ashtanga yoga, it's a set sequence every time you go. And so I would go to these classes and they would be in French and I would understand what they said, you know, raise your arms. Okay. I understood what they mean. Maybe they meant, you know, you, you start to recognize more through the body, what the experience is. And then my French started to improve. My confidence started to improve. And so I recommend this at the beginning of this book is look, you're going to read a lot of foreign terms. You know, what are doshas? You know, what are gunas? What are these things in the mind? They're, they're foreign words. They're, they're Sanskrit. They're not our native tongue. And equally, they're a different view of the body than maybe we're taught with. You know, it's a different way to approach eating and nutrition than the food pyramid or macronutrients and such. And so rather than getting so heady with it and feeling like you have to memorize all the charts, feeling like you have to follow this list for if your vata dosha is your body type and such, Rather, it's really learning how to observe yourself through this lens. You know, what does cold look and feel like in the body? How does your body shift? How does your digestion shift from the day to day? How does it shift through the seasons? You know, when you start to create this relationship with yourself, I find it sets you up so much more for success than feeling like this rigid list of what I should and shouldn't do for a dosha type you know, doesn't apply to my modern life. So when you when you stop viewing it through, I have to achieve these lists, and I'm going to observe myself, it then becomes your own direct experience, your own relationship with it. Oh, that's awesome. You know, in that first part, the foundations of Ayurveda, you have what are the five elements? You know, if you're familiar with Chinese medicine, Chinese medicine is also an elemental model. And Ayurveda follows these five elements being space, air, fire, water, and earth. Very simply, if you look outside, you'll probably observe all of those elements in different forms. It could be humid and cloudy or rainy. It could be windy. You could see the sun. I definitely feel the sun shining through my window right now. Very warm. You know, you start to observe what the tree, the stable tree and the roots into the earth look like. And so these five elements are also found within our body in different ways. So you think about Um, the function of the mind and the nervous system and how this movement can be understood through this air and space element. You think about our digestion, this process of transforming raw fuel that we take in and utilizing it into energy. This is fire, this transformative energy. You think about our bones creating structure for our, our form. This is that earth element and the water, the waterways in our body. So all five elements 
function in different purposes of the body. And those five elements can be grouped into these categories called doshas. And vata dosha is the most mobile of all three. Vata is the air and space element. And similarly, the way that air and space function in the body, vata also governs these movements, the kind of higher intellect, the nervous system, the spaces of the body, our joints. And so when it's a very windy, dry environment, like I'm in the high desert of New Mexico, it's very windy and dry here. You know, I might notice with too much of that air and space element in the body, my joints might pop and creak a little bit more and fall. And so I want to then bring balance to that through my diet and lifestyle practices, which I'll get to in a moment. But looking at pitta dosha, pitta is the fire element and the little bit of water. It has this, you know, sharp, hot, it's spreading quality. It's also very mobile and it governs um, our thinking mind, how we digest sensory information and turn it into, you know, how we make sense of what we take in through our senses, how we organize thoughts how we process that information. Similarly, how we digest the food that we take in. And so the pitta dosha um, governs that more body temperature regulation and things, these different functions of our body and too much fire, what happens? I mean, very simply, we get hot. We can be hot headed. We can be sharp tongued. We can be sweating. We can be always red. We can be craving hot, spicy foods that also increase that fire. And so noticing how we come into summertime, that can also increase that fire element in the body, in the mind. And then kapha dosha. Kapha is the water and earth element, is the most dense and stable of them. And as we're heading now into late winter and early spring, we're heading into more kapha time of year, which is a time that we can feel more heavy. It's a time that we can feel more prone to you know, runny noses or um, sinus congestion or lung lung congestion, coughs and colds and such. And so we then start to look at these doshas in our body and our mind as we move through the course of a year and look at how can we balance those with our diet and lifestyle intentionally. Now, if you've heard, I, I'm vata, you know, I'm a vata type, I'm a pitta type, I'm a kapha type. So I've already established that the doshas aren't just body types. They're, they govern all different aspects of our body, just as it does in nature. It's this idea of the macrocosm and the microcosm. And so when we hear someone say, I'm vata, or I'm pitta this combination of them, what, what we're referring to, like let's say you've taken a dosha quiz, what we're referring to is this unique set of um you know, doshic balance of the body when you're born. And so this is influenced by your mother's diet and lifestyle habits when she was pregnant with you. This is what your early, your birth and early child experiences were like, your parents' genetics and their body types and their present state. All of this shapes this unique combination of you. So when you're born, you have this set of um, kind of metabolic tendencies or these proclivities that work for you but might be completely different for someone else. This is why, you know, myself, who was raised by two pilots and <laughs> gestated in the air until seven months, um, if you think about 
flying, what is flying doing? It's increasing vata dosha, the air and space element. So for me, I have a lot of vata in my natural birth constitution, which means I have to pay more attention to the things that balance vata and to the things that can aggravate vata. So if you think about air and space, they're light, they're dry, they're mobile, they're rough, they're naturally cold. And if you think about a raw foods diet, it's not cooked. You know, you're often eating leafy, rough kale salads, cold smoothies. Um, you know, it, there's not a lot of warmth into that food. So when I started experiencing more bloating, you know, more constipation, more challenges with my digestion, those kinds of digestion challenges I was experiencing were vata type imbalances. You know, my mind was also often racing. I felt spacey or anxious or fearful. And when I started eating cooked food, when I started heating my food, adding warmth to it with warming spices and, you know, the physical temperature of the food being warm, more root vegetables, more things that have a grounding nature to them, that very, very high vata dosha started to calm down a little bit more. And so all the bloating and the constipation and the anxious thoughts started to subside as I met my needs with those opposite qualities. I was very grateful to, to find some of these things when I was younger. Um, I think the longer you let an imbalance develop, it becomes disease, right? So you need more drastic, or not drastic, but more focused healing protocols to bring that bo the body back into balance. And so for me, and I think for many, simple changes can have really profound and quick effects. So within a week, I started noticing, honestly, within my first bowl of soup, I immediately felt better. Yeah, you know? I bet. <laughs> eating all the raw, cold food. <laughs> yeah. And you know, there's nothing wrong with raw food, but if you don't have the digestive capacity for it, you know, you might as well dump the bottle of supplements down the toilet and don't take them because as my teacher would say, it's just very expensive pee. <laughs> you, know, you spend so much money doing something, but if you're not digesting it, it, it's not an effective protocol for you. And so, so much of Ayurveda looks at digestive health. And I think that's why it resonated with me so much because it wasn't just telling me what to eat and when to eat it and how to be strict with myself, but this, this very ancient wisdom taught me how to understand the why behind it. You know, why, why am I choosing these foods? Why am I choosing to eat in this way? Why am I choosing to care for my body in this way? And I feel like when you have the why behind something, you're so much more likely to stick to it versus convince yourself you have to do something. Now, how long would you say it took? Three simple shifts I did in my practice that I've stuck with today. One, I used to work in a commercial kitchen. And so like many chefs, you stand and you graze, you eat a little bite here, you eat a little bite there, you taste this, you taste that, you never sit down to eat a meal. And beyond being a chef, I know this is a habit for most people, we could be eating wonderfully delicious, healthful food. But if we're eating in a stressed state, a state of our parasympathetic, excuse me, our sympathetic nervous system, we're not going to receive that nutrition. And so what I did was very diligently, I would turn my computer off, I'd put my phone to the side. And for 10, 15 minutes, however long it took me to eat the meal, I would eat without distractions. 
and I would eat three meals a day. You know, some some people might need, you know, three meals and a small snack in the afternoon for someone with a more vata constitution or um, very athletic, very active folks might need a little bit more as well. Or kapha types with slower digestion might just need a light breakfast and two larger meals of the day. Whatever meal structure it is, I was sitting down to eat the meal without distraction. Within, yeah, within a week, you know, at first I had some resistance. I used to do some more intermittent fasting or I would, you know, have some caffeinated tea in the morning and then fast all day and have a giant smoothie at lunch. And, and then because I didn't want to be weighed down by the food, but instead I would have, you know, home cooked simple meals three times a day. And it was revolutionary. I, I, you think I would have known this already. <laughs> it sounds so boring. It sounds like what your grandmother used to tell you to do. But in a sense, we've forgotten how to eat. And so much of our health and our digestive health starts with just the fundamentals of how we're showing up to the meal. And so putting away the distractions and eating three focused meals a day was huge. The other thing that really helped was um, adding in more cooked foods and adding in warming digestive spices. This could be things like ginger, fresh ginger, could be things like cumin or coriander or fennel seed. You know, each one of these can nourish the three different digestive types, right? We've got our Moravata type digestion, which is light and dry, our Pitta type digestion, which is very hot. And our kapha type digestion, which is more slow and sluggish. And so just by adding in some more spices, this was a really beneficial shift as well. I want to jump into the way you set up your book, which I thought was so brilliant. You have for each season, you have things that are emphasized, how to stay balanced. You have things that are minimized. You have tips for tending your inner fire. You have the different asana for that season. You've got seasonal seasonal rituals. And then you've got... Uh, spring recipes. And so what I did is I went through for winter because it's winter. And uh, if, if we could walk through this, I think it would be great. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we, we talked about body types, which people usually say my dosha, but this is a prakriti. Um, and then we have our current moment needs, which is our vikriti. So what's happening now? So you might be someone with a lot of pitta but now it's winter time and you've been home in the pandemic and, you know, not moving as much, not doing as much. And now you're feeling a lot more kapha. It's also heading into deep, deeper late winter. And this is kapha time. So as we move through the cycle of the year, our environment shifts. There are times that are dominated more by the water element and earth element. There are times that are dominated more by the fire element, summer, or those air and space qualities of, of um, fall or early winter. So I structured the book in this way because I didn't want people to get so hung up on eating just for their prakriti, their birth constitution, but rather learning how to pay attention to the now. And I think that nourishment comes in many forms. It's the food we eat, but it's also how we move our bodies, how we care for our minds, how we, how we breathe and feel our bodies with prana and how we um, really relate to the world around us. This can be our intimate relationships, our family members, our loved ones, our relationship with ourselves. So 
The book is designed on how to care for yourself using food, breath, movement, meditation. And then there's some uh, focus on ritual in there as well, because I think ritual is an anchor point for ourselves and kind of marks the moment with meaning and helps us to check back in, especially if we've gone in a very busy stretch and we're easy to just move from one thing to the next. And so I've marked these um, times these significant times of nature, the spring equinox, the summer solstice, the fall equinox, and the winter solstice um, beyond the calendar year. But how to really look at these changes of nature and mark, okay, now we're heading into spring. Here are some things that I can do to shift my diet to accommodate the changing elements and doshas that are present. To So I might start incorporating more vigorous exercise in the springtime you know, breaking a sweat a little bit more to help move out of that hibernative quality we've been in in winter. You know, things like sprouts and leafy greens and fresh green juices are all helpful in the spring to naturally cleanse and begin to lighten up in the springtime. Breath practices that build more heat, you know, and energize you more are very helpful in this time of year. But if you're doing a ton of heating breath practices and now it's 100 degrees outside and it's summer and you're agitated and you're short-tempered and you're self-critical or critical of others, it's like, okay, the fire element has really gone up. So now I'm going to cool down a little bit and I'm going to mark this awareness that we've shifted into summer now. And here are some practices that I can do to not over... um, agitate my inner fire and how to keep that at bay, keep my digestion strong and not get too hot. You know, I know I might not use so much sriracha if I'm a big sriracha fan in summertime. I might not go to the hot, sweaty yoga class. Um, and instead I'll do these cooling breath practices or take some time for reflection in this way. And then equally as we move into fall, our fall focus becomes about grounding and warmth and returning to that kind of inner stability, the things that nourish our nervous system. And our winter practices simulate that as well as we head into early winter. So the book is very much structured in how to use this awareness to make subtle shifts as we move through the course of the year so that imbalance doesn't become prolonged and greater over many seasons or many, many cycles as we move through life. Yeah, I think it's important to have that flexibility and go season to season versus again, you're, you know, going and you're going into saunas when you're already too hot and it's summer. It's like, okay, come back. You know, Let's save that for the winter. So I want to jump into the recipes and the kitchen wisdom. You've got essential equipment, you've got stocking your pantry, meal planning, batch prepping, how to build a balanced bowl. I thought this was interesting. So you have 30% grain, 30% sweet vegetable, 20% legume, and 20% bitter vegetable. Yeah, you know, if and this, this doesn't have to be the exact formula for every single meal that you have. But generally, if you're feeling a little lost in meal planning, this is a great way to start to understand the different qualities of foods. So much like, you know, these doshas, the body types, and the elements, they're also found in foods. So think about like a roasted pumpkin going to be sweet, right? It has a natural sweetness. It has a a little bit of an oily quality to it. It's going to be more building where I think of something like arugula, 
It's kind of spicy. It's bitter. It's light. And so you have foods that are going to have a more building effect to them and foods that are going to have a more lightening effect to them. Now, depending on how you're feeling, you know, you might have just come off of eating four weeks of Christmas cookies. (laughs) Raising my hand over here. Um, and you're feeling really heavy or your digestion's really slow. And so you might want to swap that. You might want to have 60% more lightning and 40% more building. But the idea is that there's a balance of these tastes and qualities on your plate. You know, I'm, I'm sure at some point everyone's tried some form of dieting where you're like just eating salads all the time, or you're just eating nuts and salads all the time. And it's that both are very lightening. They're, they can be they can be drying, they can be um, not very satisfying, not very satiating. And so to balance that out, we take that salad and we add some cooked quinoa, you know, a whole grain, also a building, um, a sweet taste food that you add to that. We add some um, roasted sweet potato to it, you know, cooked with a little bit of cumin on top. And you add these digestive promoting spices and you balance that same salad with some more warming building properties. And then you feel satisfied. You're not reaching for your bag of chocolate or another cup of coffee afterwards because you've balanced this um, idea of building and lightening foods with them. And so I laid this out in this book because I found this to be a very helpful formula Um you know, as anything, life shouldn't be just a formula, but they're guidelines for getting to getting to experiment and getting to play. You know, the book's dedication is to the curious explorer within us all. And I hope that when we come into the kitchen, it's about having fun and, and playing and getting to feel what this feels like when you apply these principles in the kitchen. And so I've outlined different recipes um, through the year and how to make those combinations. So you know, bowl one could be uh, the lemon ginger doll from spring with the coconut basmati rice and some cumin roasted carrots um, with the chutney on the side, you know, the ginger cilantro chutney. And within each recipe through the seasons, I make modifications for vata, pitta, and kapha. So if you're like, I love lemon ginger doll, but ginger gives me indigestion, you know, my, my fire is too strong. Okay, omit the ginger add some fennel seed instead. So each recipe has some simple modifications that you can make and you can learn how to use whole food plant-based ingredients to really build a balanced diet. And I just want to note that Ayurveda does not require you to be vegetarian. It is not all dal and rice. You know, you mentioned mentioned, um, grass-fed meats and such earlier wonderful. So meats are going to fall in a more building quality. So if you're eating meat and potatoes for every meal and feeling heavy, you know why. So you would balance that meat with um, some digestive promoting spices again, so you can really digest that meat. And then a lighter, you know, green vegetable or such on the side cooked with that. And so we look at how to build these balanced plates for how we're feeling each day for our digestive capacity. And I've included these little self-inquiry sections throughout the book. My very favorite is just asking myself, what's up today? 
What am I feeling? And I might check in. How's my digestive capacity? Do I feel do I feel full and dull and sluggish? Or do I feel very hungry and ravenous? You know, how do I feel? What am, what am I needing is the second question. So how can I then honor what's needed with my choices today? I love that. I want to go through the winter menu. Well, I, it was hard because I had to make choices. So, <laughs> so you have the winter recipes. There's a drink, there's drinks, breakfast, soup, salads, and sides, main dishes, and sweets. So for the drinks, immediately the chai hot chocolate. I mean, I love hot chocolate. I love chai. I love a cinnamon hot chocolate. So it kind of, it has that vibe to it. I love that one. It's fun. I've been going snowshoeing a lot here and packing a thermos of that. And sometimes um, I've been adding that carob powder, which is an alternative in that recipe, which makes a nice, um, you know, less stimulating version of a regular hot chocolate. Yeah, that's true. For breakfast, the carrot cake pancakes with la- labna, is that how you say that? Frosting? Yep. It's a cultured yogurt cheese, typically found in more Lebanese, you know, Syrian type dishes. Um, it's easy to make at home. Um, simply by adding fresh yogurt into a cheesecloth and kind of hanging it and straining it and making your own. Um, takes about an hour to make that one. And this is definitely more of like a rich Christmas morning fun treat kind of a breakfast. Uh, but it also has your vegetables in it. Nice. <laughs> so it has <laughs> carrots. I always think of that one. Uh, have you seen The Office? I'm going to throw a modern reference in here. Yeah, <laughs> I love that episode where Kevin's like, there's vegetables in my cake. <laughs> Why are you doing this to me? And so I, I only recently saw The Office after like, I don't know, it came out 20 years ago. But I always laugh about that. And with those carrot cake pancakes, they're great like kids treats for getting some sweet veggies in there. With a winter diet, you know, you're wanting to to build bulk. It's okay to gain a little weight in the winter, as long as you're exercising and also keeping, you know, keeping things moving and not becoming stagnant. So a lot of the winter recipes do use, you know, more root vegetables, more heavier ingredients, more pungent warming spices, and such to help um, bring that warmth and have a little bit more of that sweetness in winter. The next one was for soup, salads, and sides is black eyed pea and pumpkin stew. The next recipe, I was looking at the main dishes, uh, chana masala. I always love chana masala. I have a funny story. So I used to get this great chana masala and I loved it and I loved it. And then one day I couldn't stand the smell of it. I'm like, I, I, I don't know what's going on. The smell, the smell is crazy. And my husband's like, but you eat that all the time. What? I said, I don't know. It's weird. Then I got really dizzy on the subway and and I sat down, I'm like, the smell, I'm dizzy, I'm lightheaded, I'm, I'm bloated. I'm like, oh my God, I'm pregnant. Because okay. <laughs> I was like, how do you suddenly not like something? You know, that, but anyway, so that's whenever I think of, uh, I think of discovering I was pregnant when I think of Chana Masala. And uh, that's a, uh, that's a popular one with the chickpeas and the nice sauce. Oh, so delicious. The tomato based, would you say? Yeah, traditionally, there are tomato based ones. And I tend to use fewer tomatoes, especially canned tomatoes in my recipes, because they can be very acidic, can be very acidifying and hard to digest. And so like the black eyed peas soup, a dear friend of mine recommended using um, ground rose hips, which I thought was brilliant. And it gives kind of, you know, if you've seen rose hips, they're 
They're very red. They're a deep red color and they're packed with vitamin C. And so this recipe uses ground rose hips, um, which is often if you have a great, you know, food co-op or natural food store or spice shop, usually you can find rose hips there. Um, and I just keep a little jar of it. You don't need a lot and grind it in a coffee grinder or a mortar and pestle and then add that into it. And it is a nice substitute for canned tomatoes, especially in the winter where we're not getting fresh tomatoes so often. Oh, that sounds good. Okay. So you put that in the chana and masala. And then the sweet, you had one that looked great. Uh, chocolate date scones with maple tahini drizzle. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I'm like, I have a soft spot in my heart for baked goods. <laughs> and, you know, dates are considered a rasayana, which means they help bring juice, rasa is like this juice, this juiciness back to your life. And I think I have a ghee stuffed date recipe in there that also is a nice, quick, sweet treat um, when you're having a big sweet craving. And so you'll find the recipes all use natural sweeteners like maple or raw honey. Um, or I, I use coconut sugar as well as a baking alternative to cane sugar. Jaggery is also a common kind of an unprocessed cane sugar used a lot in more traditional Indian cooking. But with this book, you know, it's, it's built for Westerners. And, and um, I try to bring some familiar recipes like tacos in the summertime using a homemade chapati flour um, shell and, and, you know, a delicious like cumin spiced mung bean instead of ground beef. And so someone's asked me, how come there are only vegetarian recipes in here? And my answer is I'm not asking you to be vegetarian might not be right for your time of life. If you're pregnant or such, or, um, you know, needing to eat meat for your body type. However, I feel like we're, most of us are pretty versed in making, meat-based dishes. So you'll find a lot of vegetarian options in here. And they'll also find substitutions for those who want to be vegan and don't eat ghee and such. But um, typically, I'm using kind of an Ayurvedic approach to balancing and bringing the six tastes into a meal, this idea of building and cleansing foods or building and lightening foods into a dish and trying to make it um, applicable to what we're familiar with here in the West. Ayurvedic cuisine isn't necessarily a regional cuisine, even though it comes from India and there's some wonderful dishes um, like sabji or dal or chana masala or, you know, sag paneer, these kinds of things that you can make. But the Ayurvedic way is learning how to use these appropriate spices, eat in a way that supports your digestion. And that can be applied cross-culturally. You know, I'm Italian Portuguese. I'm much more familiar with this Mediterranean diet. My grandparents were Portuguese fishermen, and I grew up in Alaska, the fishing capital of the world. And so fish is a familiar part um, of my of my diet, and different vegetables are more familiar in my diet. And so I think that you can apply your cultural heritage while using these principles of Ayurveda to increase your vitality, to increase your digestive capacity and how you feel. Wow. I can talk to you forever. I would love to uh, finish our conversation talking about the asanas in the book. And I'm wondering, you have, and well, first of all, for people who don't know, what are asanas? They're poses, they're postures. You know, when we say yoga, we usually see people doing handstands on Instagram or bending ourselves in funny ways. But essentially, they're 
their postures and different postures have different effects. And so just like we're using food intentionally through the seasons, we want to use a yoga practice in a therapeutic way. So I'll use summer again as an example. Rather than doing really heating, intense breaths and really competitive, you know, I find sometimes I go to the studio and like my really competitive side comes out and then I leave feeling agitated. Rather than, you know, approaching your yoga practice in that way, we use it to calm and and ground us, to cool us down. And different postures will do that. Different breathing practices will do that. And so I've outlined things like, you know, deep, deep squats, not like booty building squats, but like deep squats where you're anchoring your pelvis down towards the ground or focusing on grounding through the feet or doing hip openers and such are great for calming vata, you know, meditations where you're relaxing the nervous system, more restorative postures are great for vata versus um, if you're feeling very, very dense or heavy or sluggish or lethargic, you want to get moving. So, So you would approach that practice in a way that would build more strength, that would break a sweat, that would energize and uplift you versus kind of ground and calm you. And um, that can be reflected through the seasons. And that's how this book is organized, is that spring will have a more energizing sequence for uplifting that heavy kapha quality that can weigh us down at times. Summer will calm and soothe and agitated, overheated pitta. Fall will nourish and ground and build stability for a very frazzled all over the place. (laughs) And equally for winter, it's about turning inward and resting. And so that, that my aim with this is to just invite you to experience what that is like in your body and mind. How does this feel? How do you feel? Do you feel refreshed after you do one of these practices or do you feel agitated? You know, I, we're always just checking in, engaging how we're feeling and making simple, small adjustments each day. I love that. You know, actually, there is one more thing I wanted to talk to you about. I, I really love you have this self-care essentials. You have a natural uh, bristle dry brush. You have something called nausea oil. There's a tongue scraper, an irons cup, uh, organic plant oil, ceramic neti pot. Then you talk about bathing, hydrate, asana pranayama and meditation, meals, rest, wind down and sleep. I mean, there's just, wow, there's a lot of self-care and it's so important, such a big part of uh, making us healthy and happy. So talk to us a little bit about, uh, first of all, what is nausea oil? And then tell us a little bit about uh, the self-care routine. Well, what you just read was what Ayurveda gives us as a, a protocol to help care for our body and mind. And we've slept... We've metabolized waste. You know, our body's janitor has done the great job of cleaning things out. And in the morning when we first wake up, we want to assist that cleansing process so we can bring our body to neutral as we start the day. So it it involves, you know, waking up more with the sun. And I know we're in winter, so I'm not saying get up at 4 a.m. right now. (laughs) But it's essentially waking up with the sun and helping to cleanse these channels. So we have these gateways. And much of what we're doing with this is called dinacharya, the flow of the day, our, how we're aligning ourselves with the day. What we're doing in the morning is we're cleansing out all these wastes we've naturally metabolized through the night. And that could be, you know, splashing cool water on the eyes if we've got, you know, sleepies in the eyes when we wake up or <clears throat> cleansing the mouth by oil pulling. 
swishing. Um, it can be an herbal oil or coconut oil through the mouth for several minutes to help pull that bacteria and such out of the mouth. Scraping the tongue, you know, the mouth is a gateway to your digestion. Um, so we start to use oil in lots of different forms. <laughs> and <laughs> one of those you asked, what is nausea oil? Nausea oil um, can do two things. It helps to hydrate a dry sinus passageway. You know, these mucous membranes, great for after you travel, great if you've, you're prone to um, sinus troubles or congestion. And the other is kind of a therapeutic calming for the mind. So often these herbs um, are combined with the oil. There's a special blend of, of herbs decocted in with the oil. And you can get a nausea oil blend and a little dropper bottle and just lie, lie back on your couch or on your bed and drop a drop or two in each nostril and, and just breathe and relax for several minutes. And, you know, for those who this time of year especially are suffering from a lot of dryness, this can be helpful. And usually you precede nausea with neti pot. So many people have probably heard of neti or have done some kind of sinus rinse before. And this is usually done with a ceramic pot with a little spout and a handle. It almost looks like Aladdin's genie pot. In fact, I've seen this great cartoon where it's a someone holding a neti pot up to their nose, but the genie comes out and they're like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, this is my neti pot. I wasn't making a witch. <laughs> And so you're, you're usually doing like a little bit of um, salts in the water and you're flushing out that congestion. Great for people who have a lot of sinus congestion and then you follow with the whale. So you're cleaning the nose, the mouth, the eyes, the ears. Sometimes there's a, a therapy as well um, with ear oil. Similar, you can just be warm sesame oil, untoasted or an herbalized oil, and you can put a drop or two in the ear. And just like you did Nasi, you would rest on one side. And all this oil helps to mitigate that dryness. So when you get ringing in the ears, tinnitus, things like that, there's a drying of the inner ear. And, and this can really come, especially in fall, or if you've been out in winter and the elements, it's very dry and windy. So we're always helping to bring our body back to this, this balance, this inner balance, this homeostasis. And Part of that is helping cleanse the wastes, the mullahs out of the body. And what was that word again? Mala, M-A-L-A. And, and we can learn a lot by observing, you know, what is my urine like today? What is my elimination like? You know, is it very dry? I should probably eat a little bit more oil and have some cooked foods or drink more water. So we're, we're doing this daily practice and a lot of it falls in the morning because it helps us gauge what's up today what's needed. And so this recipe for a daily routine follows this, this um, traditional Ayurvedic approach to clearing, cleansing and balancing the body and mind as we start our day. And that includes eating a, a well cooked meal, moving your body it doesn't have to be yoga, it can be another approach to movement. But you're doing something to care for your body as you begin, you know, your work day and the demands of daily life. Again, the book is Living Ayurveda, Nourishing Body and Mind Through Seasonal Recipes, Rituals, and Yoga. This is an absolutely gorgeous book as well. I mean, this is, I love this book. So it's like a nice book you can put on a coffee table, yet it's a book that's not just something to look at. It's something to read and take in and use to make these incredible lifestyle changes. Claire, how do we find out more about you and your terrific work? Yeah, my website is called Vidya, V-I-D-Y-A, vidyaliving.com. 
And on there, you'll find hundreds of more recipes. I've been food blogging for about a decade now. And um, I also work with clients one-on-one. So you'll find information about my consultations. And I lead online group cooking courses and other fun workshops and events. And eventually, when we can all hang out again, retreats. So (laughs) you can find more at videoliving.com as well as um, peaks inside the book and such on there. Wonderful. Well, I want to thank you so much. You can find me on social media at Lisa Davis MPH. Thanks so much for listening.